to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Sam. And I'm Shane. And it really has felt like it's been a while since we've recorded. I mean, it, it's only been like two or three weeks because we had other stuff going on, but like... Yes. It has felt like a very long time. It has been. I was in a show. You came to see it. It was really funny. <laughs> it was really funny. And it was really fun to be a part of. And There's it, just been a lot of stuff going on. It has. Like, I feel like... We've lived 15 lives in the last three weeks. <laughs> yes. And the good thing, listeners, is that we knew a lot of this stuff was coming. So we pre-recorded a lot in advance as, as much as we could. Um, and now we're recording again. And because we have nothing. Like, we <laughs> do not have anything in the bank. Nope, the bank is empty. I mean, no, this case has been written for since January. So I've been prepared. It's just... We used up everything that we had. Yes, but now those things are over, and we have a little bit more time, and and we're back. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, being in school and working, I am so ready for that two-week break. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm actually ready for Easter weekend, because I get a little bit of a break from work. Yes. I mean, I'm going to be doing homework and stuff for the podcast, but just not having to be in an office. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love my job. Don't get me wrong, I love my job, but I am very tired. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so this will kind of be our Easter episode. By the time you guys hear it, it'll be like Good Friday. Um, This is not a positive episode. This is one that I got clearance from you mm-hmm. before I did it because this is a child murder. Mm-hmm. If you are familiar with the true crime community, this is a very well-known case. You don't know this case. I'm okay. very certain you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, But it is really dark. It's going to be a two-parter. Tonight, we're going to get into the background of the victim and I'm just top of the episode warning this is a murder of a 12 year old girl by four teenage girls oh so we're going to get into the background of I don't typically get into the background of the killers Mm -hmm. but in this episode or in this case it is very relevant to get into the background all right so tonight we're going to get into the background of the victim and then the background of one of killers okay and then next week we will get into the background of the other girls and the actual murder all right there will be brief mention in this episode of the actual murder mm-hmm. but next week we'll go into more details so if you can't listen to that totally understand it's completely dark very upsetting so if you can't come back in two weeks and shane <laughs> will have something a little bit lighter yes so, on that note, God, I'm like, talking is like wearing me out. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so, go ahead and get into it. Tonight, I'm going to tell you about the murder of Shanda Sharer. Okay. I, you're right. I do not know this. I don't yeah. know that name. It's, it is very dark. But, again, very well-known case in the true crime community. Okay. <sighs> okay. Shanda Renee Scherer was born on June 6, 1979, to parents Steve Scherer and Jackie Vault in Pineville, Kentucky. When Shanda was just a child, her parents divorced, mm-hmm. and both of them remarried. Okay. And after they divorced, they actually remained pretty close. Um, what I, from what I gathered, it seemed like Jackie and Steve were married and then divorced twice, like, to each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, that but it happens. Seemed, yeah, it seemed like it might have been one of those things where they, like, truly tried, and then they finally come to the realization, like, they're better off as friends mm-hmm. than romantic partners, and they can still be really great parents, yeah. even though they're not together. If only more people could do that. <laughs> yeah. So, after Shanda's mother remarried, the family moved to Louisville, Kentucky. Now, growing up, Shanda was extremely close to her parents mm-hmm. and her step-parents and her older half-sister, Paige. Paige had more disciplinary problems as a child, but Shanda was the complete opposite. She was easygoing and laid back. She wanted to make her parents happy, so she did everything to make her parents happy. Uh-huh. Um, and she was extremely sensitive. And I remember, like, I was this kid that was extremely sensitive, if she thought she had upset one of her parents or basically anybody, she would get upset herself and then start to cry because she didn't want to upset anybody. Oh, I'm also really glad you clarified the sensitive because in the paranormal community, sensitives are known as people who can very easily see ghosts and sense yes. them. 
<laughs> and for a hot minute, I was like, oh, wait, is she seeing things when she's younger? But this is not that type of case. This is not, no. So when Shanda began school, she attended St. Paul Catholic School, which is a private school. Mm-hmm. And there she kind of just like blossomed into a social butterfly. Yay. She was bright. She was intelligent. She was bubbly. She was a great student and everybody liked Shanda. Mm-hmm. She was involved in multiple extracurricular activities. She did gymnastics, cheerleading, and Girl Scouts. She played basketball and softball. <laughs> um, that's a lot. It is. Uh, she had expressed a desire to be a nurse very early on, mm-hmm. just like her older sister, Paige, and she loved helping people. But she was also a preteen, so she loved going to the mall to shop and talk on her friends. Uh, talk on the phone with her friends. <laughs> Um, she was just very well-rounded and just seemed like a really great kid. Yes. So in the summer of 1991, just after Shanda's 12th birthday, her mother Jackie and her stepfather were in the middle of a divorce. Mm-hmm. Jackie decided it would be best for both her and Shanda to move closer to Shanda's father and stepmother Sharon. So Jackie and Shanda packed up all their things and moved from Louisville, Kentucky to New Albany, Indiana. Oh, wow, that's a trek. Actually, it's not. It's really? they're they're pretty close with each other. Yeah. They're not oh. that far apart. Louis, uh Kentucky and Indiana are not very far apart. I guess you're right. I always imagine Indiana like so far from us, which I mean, I guess it probably is from us, but still like I think it's more on the western side of the continent and it's not. It's it, like more central. Oh, yeah. No, I'm terrible with geography. Like that <laughs> um I think maybe when you're like in 5th grade you have to like place all the states uh-huh. on the map. I'm like, so North Carolina, <laughs> where are we? <laughs> um, but Shanda, she didn't mind to move. She was mm-hmm. happy to be close to her dad. Um, she was feeling a little bit nervous, but she was also, like, anxiously excited about starting a new school. Yes. Because Shanda had always attended private school. But when they moved to New Albany, she insisted that Jackie allow her to attend public school. So Jackie agreed. And Shanda was enrolled at Hazelwood Middle School. This was a big deal for Shanda because mm-hmm. Hazelwood Middle School was about 10 times the size of the private school, St. Um, Paul Catholic School, that she attended in Louisville. Wow. So she is going from like tiny, tiny little pond to a big ocean. <laughs> um, and she was going to be in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's really hard to change schools, but, like, at this age, it's particularly hard. Yes. Because being a preteen is difficult. It is. I was going to say, middle school is not a fun age for anyone. Mm-mm. No. No. I mean, I feel like the best part of my middle school experience was probably, like, pizza day when you got the square pizza <laughs> and they served corn with it. I really liked those days. But overall, middle school, like, everybody's awkward. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what they're doing. Like, trying to fit in and figure things out is just not fun. No. I mean, like, I actually enjoyed 7th and 8th grade, but 6th grade, everyone hated everyone, and it was not fun. Yeah, my middle school was just 7th and 8th grade, because we still had elementary school in 6th grade. Mm-hmm. But it still was, yeah, you're just awkward. <laughs> like, your body's doing weird stuff. Yes. Like, you just don't know what's happening. Puberty is starting to set in, and will continue on in high school. Yeah, you're just awkward. Um, so Shanda, she's getting excited, and the night before her first day at Hazelwood, she and Jackie spent about three hours picking out the perfect outfit for her. Mm-hmm. Because this will be the first year since Shanda started school that she didn't have to wear a uniform. Oh. So it was really great for Shanda because yes. she was like really into fashion. Mm-hmm. She loved makeup and clothes and doing her hair. Like, this is the early 90s, mm-hmm. and even though Shanda was only 12, she looked to be much older. I... Um, so, she is... Her mom, you know, her mom let Shanda wear makeup. She mm-hmm. let her wear clothes that were stylish by teenage standards. So, a lot of people, when they looked at Shanda, thought Shanda looked older than 12. And even though Shanda did look older than 12, Shanda was still just 12. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um... She had a head full of, like, thick, wavy hair. Like, Mm -hmm. that's one of the... When you look at pictures of Shanda, you see this massive (laughs) head of hair. Like, I'm jealous of the amount of hair. Like, such 
pretty thick hair. What year is this again? 91. 91. Okay, and yeah. hair was still kind of big in 91. <laughs> oh, it was very big. In uh -huh. fact, her mother said that Shanda would use about a full can of hairspray every time she did her hair. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. So, the first couple of days at Hazelwood seemed to be going really well until, like, the third day. And on this day, Jackie gets a call informing her that Shanda had gotten into a fight with another girl at school and she was having to attend in-school suspension. Uh-oh. And Jackie was like, yeah, Jackie was like, I don't believe mm -hmm. that. Like, I, Shanda's never done anything that would require disciplinary action. Yes. So she was completely shocked that she's getting a call from the new school saying, your kid is in in-school suspension. Mm -hmm. Which, did you ever have to do that? I actually never did in high school. Um, in middle school, once I did for a very stupid reason, but that was it. And I kind of feel like my, like, of course, every, every everyone was surprised. Kids were walking by the room and looking in and being like, wait, is that Shay? It was, that was embarrassing. My family was surprised, but I also feel like it was my brother and sister. It wouldn't have been such a big shock. <laughs> yeah, I had to do it in high school, but I think it was because I, I know, I believe it was for absences, but it's because I had missed a couple days mm -hmm. and then I got mono and I had to be out for a couple days. Oh, no. So. So let's punish you for being sick. Well, I mean, I had a doctor's note, but I had already missed like. Mm -hmm. days before that and they were just like well you shouldn't have missed those days because I was not sick on those days um, <laughs> so Jackie found out that Shanda had agreed to deliver a letter to one of her male classmates from his girlfriend mm -hmm. so the girl wanted to break up with her boyfriend uh -oh. but this is like middle school yes. so you're like terrified to do anything mm -hmm. so she had written him a letter but she was afraid to give it to him mm-hmm so Shanda, in an attempt to make a new friend, was like, I'll give it to him. So when she did, the boy was like, who the heck are you? And his cousin, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. There's going to be a lot of names being thrown around, so I'm going to try to make this as like easy as possible. Okay. So the boy's cousin, Amanda Heverin, came up and I guess was like trying to defend her cousin, even though there really was no need need to defend him no. but this is middle school and yes. everybody's showing their ass <laughs> so she got into a physical fight with shanda mm -hmm. and this fight landed both shanda and amanda in iss so you can imagine jackie's surprise when she comes home a few days later and she finds shanda at home with her new friend that she introduces to jackie as amanda oh so jackie waited until amanda left and then she goes to Shanda and she's like, you know, I don't really think it's a good idea for you to be hanging out with somebody that wanted to fight you. Mm -hmm. But Shanda explained like it's all a misunderstanding and Amanda's actually really nice. Jackie was not convinced. Mm -hmm. But this was the first time Shanda had been in public school and she was a new kid. It's hard being a new kid. And she didn't want to stop Shanda from, from befriending somebody that may actually... Need a friend. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you can get in one altercation, and then I'm sure they were both stuck in ISS together. And they were, then yeah. probably get to know each other and realize maybe you're not that different. Yeah. I never got in a fight, ever. Mm -hmm. I had a girl, like, threaten to kick my ass, because apparently I didn't realize I was staring at her. <laughs> but I think it's because she looked like somebody that I used to know that had moved away. Mm -hmm. And then I was just like, God, she really looks like such and such. And then she was like, what are you staring at? And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I was staring. <laughs> but anyway. I got in a shoving fight. Well, I got, yeah, I got in a shoving fight once. I was pushed against the door by someone who I really hated. I pushed him back. He stumbled and fell into a bunch of desks. So it looked like I pushed him very harder than I did. I was also proud to, for it to look that way. But we only got pulled into the teacher's office. We explained what happened. And as very matter of fact, because the guy walked up with his friends and pushed me. And he tried to say, like, I tried to jump him. And I looked at the teacher and I was like, I'm not that stupid. I'd wait till he was alone. He was yeah. with, like, five other people. Yeah, I never, I was, I fought with my brothers. But I don't want to get punched in the face. Yeah, that was the only incident I got into in high school. And after that, I would like to think the teacher believed me because he just made a shake hands and apologize, and that was that. Oh, jeez. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda told Shanda that, oh, so they actually, Amanda and Shanda exchanged class schedules, mm -hmm. and they started exchanging lockers. 
And apparently at this school, you have like locker partners, like a top locker and a bottom locker. Mm-hmm. But Amanda told Shanda that since Amanda didn't have a locker partner, Shanda could just slip her notes to Amanda in Amanda's locker. Okay. So <laughs> it wasn't long before Amanda and Shanda began to have and actually show feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like prior to meeting Amanda, and I'm saying this in quotes, Shanda had always had boyfriends. Uh-huh. But Shanda was 12. This was the early 90s. Like, yes. This is when you're starting to like explore. Mm-hmm. And even though she had never shown interest in another girl, like Shanda was 12. She probably was not fully aware of what she wanted at that exactly. time because it wasn't accepted or talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that this is an issue only because Amanda was in an already tumultuous on and off again relationship with 15 year old Melinda Loveless. Oh. And so this is where I'm going to go into a little bit of background about Melinda. Again, I don't typically go into the backgrounds Mm -hmm. of the killers, but it's extremely relevant in this case. Okay. So Melinda Loveless was the third daughter to Larry and Marjorie, also known as Margie Loveless. Mm-hmm. And to say that Melinda had a terrible childhood is an understatement. Larry Loveless was a literal monster. Mm-hmm. He and Margie got married when Margie was still in high school. Larry was 17 and Margie was like 16 or 17. Uh huh. <laughs> so immediately after getting married, Larry became extremely possessive over Marjorie. He was always accusing her of cheating on him. And he did it on such a frequent basis that he would show up and follow her around school, like walk to her classes with her until she quit high school. Why? He was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and a complete pervert. Oh, no. He was a disgusting person. He was addicted to, and trigger warning here for rape. He was addicted to and demanded sex for Margie on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. And she was not allowed to say no. Like, he eventually started forcing Margie to have sex with him in front of other people. Ooh. And then forced her to have sex with other people in front of him. Oh, God. Yes. He degraded her on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Once their oldest daughter, Michelle, was born... Larry began to physically and sexually abuse her even as an infant. What a sick... Ugh. Yes. Yeah, sick monster. You're right. He would beat her for crying as as an infant because that's what infants do because yes. they cannot speak. They can't communicate any other way. Mm-hmm. When she was potty training and had accidents, he would beat her for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Later on, Larry apologized to Michelle... For those beatings because they were so harsh that eventually they actually bothered him. Which is, I say actually, like, I don't think he was actually bothered by oh, that no, at all. Oh no, he wanted something, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. So once their second daughter, Melissa, was born, Larry immediately began doing the same thing to her. For a brief stint, Larry found work as a probation officer. He was allowed to carry a gun and handcuffs. The worst choice they could have made. Yes. But at this time, it's in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. Okay. That this was unfortunately very common. Yeah. We've come a long way. We still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, this was the time that they mm-hmm. were living in. Um, at this point, Michelle and Melissa are four and two, respectively, and they were terrified of Larry. I would be, too. And once he had the gun, mm-hmm. he would use it to threaten Margie and terrorize the girls. There was one point, like, in the middle of the night, Michelle wandered into their bedroom as a child. Mm-hmm. Larry grabbed his gun and shot at Michelle. My God. Barely missing her. He blamed it on the time he spent in Vietnam and the things he saw there. Mm. Now, while he did serve time in Vietnam, I don't think he was actually experiencing PTSD. Yeah, oh no, I don't think he was either. Um, Because when he came home, he bragged about the men, women, and children that he killed during his time there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Larry actually lost his job when he brutally attacked a man for waving at Margie. 
Good grief. It's also highly suspected that Larry attacked this man because he was black. Mm. So when Melinda was born into this god-awful family, mm-hmm. um, even though Larry denied that Melinda was his, it was obvious that Melinda was his favorite child. Mm-hmm. By the time Melinda was born, Margie had gone back to work. And because she had to, because yeah. Larry had lost his job for attacking that man. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle, although she was only 10 at the time, she became like a mother to Melinda. Mm-hmm. To further show how sadistic Larry was, he started telling Michelle that Melinda was theirs, like their child, to the point that Michelle actually believed she was Melinda's mom. Melinda actually started calling Michelle mom. Oh my God. Yeah. For the first five or so years of Melinda's life, it was like this state of chaos and terror. Mm -hmm. With Larry being a raging alcoholic, he was physically, emotionally, and sexually abusing everybody in the household. Although Melinda would later deny that she was ever sexually abused by her father, uh-huh. um, that's not believed by anyone. Yeah. Um, she actually slept in the same bed with Larry until she was 14. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that poor girl. Yep. So one day, Larry just decided this was it. The whole family was going to change because Larry said he'd found God. <laughs> okay. Yes. So he stopped drinking, mm-hmm. and the family joined Graceland Baptist Church. I have a <laughs> lot to say about that. Yes. I feel like growing up in the South, anytime I hear Baptist Church, I'm just like, oh, oh. and mm-hmm. I'm not like I'm not saying anything bad about anybody's religion. I'm just from personal experience. I have not had the most welcoming experience in a Baptist church. Same. I'm right there with you. <laughs> so, you know, and I feel like they, you get a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. So, Larry was so manipulative that he had the entire congregation, congregation drinking out of the palm of his hand. This is why he really wanted to do it. Like, mm-hmm. when, and when someone like that says they found God, no, they haven't. They yeah. might have found, like, the idea of God and been like, ooh, I want that. Yeah, he actually... Uh, was able to become a marriage counselor within the church. Mm-hmm. You need to be licensed for that. Yeah, well, this church is of, I don't, yeah, it's not, they don't follow the guidelines that True. I think you're supposed to. I don't know. I don't go to church, so I don't know exactly what you're supposed <laughs> True. to do. Same. Um, but this church also uh, practiced exorcisms. Oh. So, it's one of those churches. Like, if you <laughs> stick your hand in a vat of snakes and they don't bite you, that means Jesus loves you. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to need to get exercised. Yes. Wow. So, when Melinda was five, five, one, two, three, four, five years old, it was decided that Melinda needed to be exercised. Why? I, I don't know the exact reason. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I don't think there's any reason that a five year old would need to be exercised. No. It's not like her head was spinning around. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, but this exorcism, there was actually no priest or reading that took place inside of a safe space. Mm-hmm. Five year old Melinda was dropped off at a motel alone with a fifty year old man for five hours. That is not even how exorcisms mm-hmm. work. No. Uh, Melinda said she doesn't remember much about it. She said that she just fell asleep. I mean, they probably drugged her. <laughs> there was a lot that... There was no exorcism happen. That, no. Like, that is just like it makes my skin crawl. Yeah. It makes my skin crawl. Yeah, you don't go... Just mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Yeah. So all the while the family is involved in this church, Larry is continuing to sexually abuse not only his children... But other children and women. Oh, that was a gateway. Yep. Uh, uh, I cannot speak. There's lots of M's in this case. (laughs) Michelle and Melissa wouldn't invite their friends over because they were afraid of what Larry would do to them. Mm -hmm. And Larry was using his position as a counselor within the church to abuse women that came to him while they were going through a divorce. Of course he would. Mm -hmm. And eventually, 
this all started falling apart because Larry started drinking again. Mm-hmm. Also not surprising. Mm-hmm. And when he stood up during a church service to tell the entire congregation about how poorly he felt the church was allocating church funds, the entire family was excommunicated. Also not a big shock. Nothing surprised me in any of that. No. So at some point during all of this, Margie had started having an affair with a neighbor. Mm-hmm. And now Michelle, Melissa, and Melinda had nobody in the house looking out for them. Oh. It was literal hell in this household. Yeah. Larry's perverse behavior just got worse. Mm-hmm. His fights and the violence got worse. Um, but despite all this, Melinda said that she really loved her dad and looked up to him, which mm-hmm. is not odd. It's quite common for abused individuals to look up to and even protect their abusers. Yeah. Um, so after they left the church, there were numerous other violent instances that took place. At one point, Margie attacked Larry with a knife in the front yard after he'd been caught spying on Melinda and her friend at a pool. Mm-hmm. And he was he was completely fine. He thought it was funny that the girls caught him spying on them, changing into their swimsuits. Um, and he had he was so manipulative that he'd actually started turning his daughters on Marjorie. So after the incident where Margie attacked him with the knife, Melinda was really pissed. Oh goodness. Which I, I mean I'm not victim blaming Melinda like no. at the time Melinda is still like a preteen. Mm-hmm. And she has been manipulated and what's the word I'm looking for? Groomed? Yes, groomed by her father, which is absolutely, like, makes my skin crawl to even say those words. Yeah. So, Margie and Larry had threatened each other with divorce multiple times. Mm-hmm. But it finally happened when Melissa was 14, and Larry basically walked out of their lives and moved to Florida. He was like, peace out. Which is the best thing he could have done mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, Melinda was devastated, and she struggled to handle the abandonment that she felt. Mm-hmm. So, Margie, Margie did remarry, and Melinda's stepfather was actually really decent. Like, he tried to be a friend to Melinda, but Melinda wanted no part of it. At this time, Melinda was 15, and she was still wetting the bed, which oh. is an indication that she had suffered severe sexual abuse. Yeah. And she also seemed to be in this state of, like, arrested development, mm-hmm. because even though she looked 15, she did not behave like she was 15. Oh, I'm sure. She still played with toys, and mm-hmm. she watched children's cartoons. And there wasn't any evidence that Melinda had an uh, intellectual disability, but there were clear indications that Melinda was suffering from some form of mental illness mm-hmm. as a result of the severe abuse that she had been subjected to for the entire 15 years of her life. Yeah. She tried finding that attention from boys, but found that she was more attracted to women. Mm-hmm. So when Melinda and Amanda met, Melinda was really like yearning for someone to show her love and affection. Mm-hmm. And this was the first relationship for both of them that was same sex, and it was really intense. Uh huh. So, however, given that Melinda had not one iota of a positive example of a loving and healthy relationship. It was not a shock when she became possessive, very forceful, and basically abusive with Amanda. Mm-hmm. Because that's what she's seen mm-hmm. her whole life. Yep. <clears throat> yes. So when Shanda arrived in New Albany, things were already not well with Melinda and Amanda. Mm-hmm. Amanda and Shanda began exchanging letters, and things pretty quickly became flirtatious, and then between the two of them, and then they began a relationship. So now Amanda is in this relationship with Melinda, and she's trying to start something new with Shanda. Uh-huh. Now, at the time, Amanda is 14 or 15, Shanda is 12. Yes. I feel like when you're, you know, 25 and 28, there's not that big of a difference. Mm-mm. But when you're 12 and 14 or 15, there's a huge... It's a big difference. A huge maturity difference. Mm-hmm. So that's not cool. No. Um... Melinda sees that Amanda is interested in Shanda. Mm-hmm. So she does what every teenager would do in that case, I feel like. She tried to befriend Shanda with the ulterior motive of, like, essentially telling her to, like, stay away from Amanda. Yes. So in the book, um, Cruel, 
I'm I'm gonna have to look it up. It's by <laughs> Aphrodite Jones. It's called I don't, I'll have to look it up. I'll link it. But the book mm-hmm. by Aphrodite Jones is really good. She has a lot of court testimony, and she has actual excerpts from the letters that uh-huh. the girls exchanged. So I'm going to read a couple of them. Okay. So this is a letter that Melinda wrote to Shanda. Okay. She said, Shanda, don't be mad at me, please. I want to be your friend. I just don't like when you speak to Amanda when I'm not there. I mean, why can't we all three be friends? You act as if you've got something with her. Amanda and I are going together, and she loves me, and I love her, and she only wants to be friends with you. You need to accept that, Shanda. Amanda told me you were going through bad times. Well, if you need someone to talk to, you can always talk with me. I don't want you sneaking behind my back. Why don't you speak to Amanda when she's with me? You need to find a boyfriend because Amanda is mine. You can even ask her. Please talk to us both, or you can forget about Amanda. You, me, and Amanda need to have a talk together and get this squared away, and then we can all be friends. It's Sorry, very... riding so sloppy. Can you meet us at lunch? Your friend Mel. <laughs> that is so middle school. It really, yes. truly is. Yes. The whole, um, sorry writing so sloppy. Yes. Well, like, I mean, just even, like, everything in it. Yeah, and it's so, like, we can all be friends, but you have to stay away from Amanda yes. because Amanda's mine. you have mine. to do what I say. <laughs> yes, and she loves me, and she only wants to be with mm-hmm. me. Like, you need to accept that. Yes. Like, li- reading these letters, like, you see <clears throat> how young they were, mm-hmm. and then when you find out what they do, it's... Like, there are no words. Yeah. Like, this is one of the worst crimes that I've ever told you about. Mm-hmm. This is worse than the Janet Chandler. This is, like, this is the worst one I have ever. Oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> so, the three of them did meet. Mm-hmm. But it didn't clear anything up. Not surprisingly. I mean, they're all still essentially yeah. children. Yeah, very young. Um, Shanda is a child. Shanda's 12 years yeah. old. she's very much a child. So, Amanda and Shanda continued their relationship, mm-hmm. and Melinda was not having anything of it. So, she went from trying to be Amanda's, I mean, Shanda's friend, uh-huh. to just basically, like, saying, fuck that, I'm going to make her life miserable. Mm-hmm. So, she would constantly taunt Shanda at school, and she would bully her. She would make fun of Shanda and tell her she was ugly, and it was just, like, it was escalating. Yeah. So, the more time Amanda and Shanda spent together, the angrier Melinda became. Mm -hmm. There was a school dance and Amanda and Shanda went together as each other's date. Melinda showed up and got into it with Shanda. Like things were just getting like super messy between the three of them. At one point, Amanda had actually expressed to Shanda in a letter that she really was into her, but she also felt like Melinda had her in some kind of trance and it was hard for her being Amanda to break away from Melinda. Mm-hmm. Like, essentially, Amanda is trying to, like, appease both Melinda and yes. Shanda. But it was becoming everybody, like, evident to everybody at school, including Melinda, mm-hmm. that Amanda was leaning heavily, like, towards wanting to be with just yes. Shanda. So, on the weekend of October 24th, Amanda had asked Shanda to not make plans with anybody and ask if she could have a sleepover. Initially, Jackie had said no, Mm -hmm. but she relented. So, Shanda and Amanda went to a haunted house together with Shanda's stepfather, with her father and her stepmother. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, at this point that Amanda and Shanda had started saying, I love you to each other. Uh And they were spending all their time together. Mm -hmm. It was also around this time of Melinda's 16th birthday. And when it came and went without any word from Amanda... She really upped her up the ante, uh huh, and confronted Shanda at school. And this is when she started to vocalize to her friends that she wanted to hurt Shanda. Mm-hmm. Now, all the while, Jackie had been under the impression that Shanda and Amanda were just friends. Mm-hmm. But in early November, Shanda had put a letter in the mail to Amanda. But because she's 12 and she didn't understand how the mail system worked, she didn't put a stamp on it. So, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So, Jackie found it and read it. Uh Uh-oh. And it was clear in this letter that Shanda and Amanda had engaged in some form of sexual activity. Oh. 
Now, this was the early 90s in the Midwest. Like, yeah. being openly gay was not something that was widely accepted. Mm-hmm. And Jackie had stated in interviews that she did not care at all if Shanda was gay. Yeah. She's like, I, I don't care. Her issue was that her 12-year-old child was engaging in sexual activity with, at this point, a 15-year-old. Yes, that is the issue. She was not happy about that because mm-hmm. she felt like her child was... Her child, her 12-year-old child, was being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So she asked Shanda, and Shanda completely denied it. But Jackie had been noticing small changes in Shanda since she began Hazelwood. Like, before she began school there, she was always, like, really bubbly and talkative. She made really good grades. Mm-hmm. But then after she started at Hazelwood, her grades started to drop. She'd come home from school and just, like, immediately go to her room and stay in there the rest of the night. Which is a very, like, mid-teenager thing to do. Not a 12-year-old thing, really, I don't think. Yeah, and also, like, Shanda had always been the kind of kid that would, like, talk to her mom. Yeah. And she just wasn't talking to her mom about anything. hmm So, that and the fact that she found this letter... Jackie was like, this is the final straw. Mm-hmm. So Jackie called Steve, and the two of them decided that Shanda needed to be removed from Hazelwood Middle School. Mm-hmm. So they took her out of Hazelwood Middle School, and she began attending Our Lady of Perpetual Help Catholic School the very next week. And within a few weeks, Shanda was back to her old self. She made new friends, and she was getting involved in school again. Her grades picked back up. Uh-huh. It seemed like she was getting back to the child that Jackie had known before mm-hmm. she started Hazelwood. However, unbeknownst to Jackie, Shanda and Amanda were still finding ways to stay in contact. Now, I want to point out here that I am in no way indicating that Steve and Jackie were negligent parents. Uh-huh. They were very hands-on and amazing yeah. parents. What I'm saying is that Shanda and Amanda were like any typical teenager and Mm -hmm. preteen and they found ways to get around the rules without their parents being any wiser to their actions Mm -hmm. and it's the 90s there's not even like a lot you can track you know you can't yeah there were no cell phones but if you called someone and your parents didn't know unless it was like long distance where they would see an upcharge they would probably really never know yeah yeah and as far as the altercations between melinda and shanda at hazelwood it doesn't sound like the school sca- school staff were aware that anything was even going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know if they were paying attention or if it was, like, one of those things where the interactions were only taking place with, like, the three of them. Yeah. Or in front of other classmates and nobody said anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem like that other than that very first phone call Jackie received saying Shanda had ISS, Jackie was ever notified that there were any problems happening. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, she was never notified by school staff, like, your child's being bullied. Yeah. So, after Shanda transferred schools, Amanda invited her to another school dance at Hazelwood. Mm Mm-hmm. But in order to get in, you had to have a ticket and be a student at Hazelwood. Shanda didn't meet either of those requirements. No. So, they tried sneaking her in, but she was immediately recognized as a (laughs) former student, and she was made to leave. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Shanda walked across the street to wait with some other, some other kids. Mm-hmm. And while she's just hanging out, Melinda and Amanda came out. Of course they did. And Shanda and Melinda got into another argument. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, at this time, Shanda's 12, Melinda is 16. And so, at this time, during this fight, Melinda forced Amanda to tell Shanda in front of everybody that... She wants to be with Melinda. Mm-hmm. And then Melinda tells Shanda in front of everybody that if she doesn't stay away from Amanda, in Melinda's words, she's going to fucking kill her. Oof. So a few days later, Amanda wrote Shanda a letter basically trying to warn her that Melinda was going to beat her up. Like, trying to tell her, like... Melinda wants to hurt, hurt you. you. Yeah. This was an attempt to end things with Shanda. Mm-hmm. Just kind of letting her know, like, they're both in danger if they continue this relationship. Uh-huh. So now we're going to fast forward to the weekend of January 10th, 1992. Okay. Shanda's spending the weekend at her dad Steve's house, like she does every weekend. Mm-hmm. They're watching TV, and there's a knock at the door. Shanda gets up to answer it, and Steve, 
he can kind of see, like, there's two young girls at the door. Like, he doesn't go, but he's kind of, like, yeah. you know, at the corner of his eye. Mm-hmm. And he, like, hears the girls ask if Shanda's home, but Shanda's answering the door. So, he's like, that's weird. Yes. So, he called out, and he was like, hey, like, who is that? And Shanda's like, oh, it's just some friends. I'm going to step outside for a minute. Mm-hmm. And Steve was like, that's weird, because, like, clearly these girls don't know Shanda. They ask if Shanda was home, and Shanda answered the door. Exactly. So Shanda stepped outside for a few minutes, and then she comes back in. And then shortly after this, one of Shanda's friends from the neighborhood called and asked if Shanda could come over. So Steve's like, yeah, no problem. She goes over, hangs out with this little girl. Around 11.15 that night, Shanda and her friend came back to Steve's house, like her and the neighbor friend. Mm-hmm. And Shanda said, can she spend the night? And Steve was like, absolutely not. She needs to go home. Yeah. It's also 11.15. I... I can't remember, like, I feel like I probably stayed up that late, but I definitely would not have been out as a teenager. Yeah. I mean, I was... Or not as a 12 or 13-year-old. Yeah, not as a 12 or 13-year-old. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I feel like at that time, I was, like, I was definitely wanting to step to, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, but my ass was at home. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve said no. The little girl goes back home. And then around midnight, Steve told Shanda it was time to turn the lights out and to go to bed. Mm-hmm. So, assumingly, that's what happened. But the next morning, Steve and Sharon get up. They go make breakfast. And Sharon went to go wake Shanda up and found that Shanda was not in her room. Oh, no. So Steve and Shanda, uh, Sharon searched the house and could not find her. Mm-hmm. And even though Shanda had never ran away before, they thought, like, maybe she did. Like, she's, you know, she's kind of going, she'd been going through some issues, yes. you know, whatever. So they go out and they drove all over New Albany, but they mm-hmm. could not find her. So they go home, and Steve had to call Jackie and tell her that they couldn't find Shanda. And Jackie's like, what do you mean you can't find Shanda? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so Jackie gets in her car, and she drives to Steve's house. Steve's house. And immediately when she walks in, she saw Shanda's purse on the table and knows that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Because Shanda did not go to the bathroom without her purse. Uh-huh. So if her purse is there and Shanda isn't, something's wrong. So Jackie, Steve, and Sharon immediately called the police to file a missing persons report. Around ele- uh, oh, sorry, around ten fifteen on the morning of January eleventh, nineteen ninety two, forty five miles away from New Albany, Indiana, two hundreds in Madison, Indiana, are walking along Lemon Road to their favorite quail hunting spot, when they find what they first believe to be a burned mannequin covered with a red blanket. However. One of them noticed toenails and oh, realized no. it was not a mannequin, so they called the cops. Oh, God. I'm going to get into some details about the victim here, so skip ahead like a few minutes if you don't want to hear this. Mm-hmm. When the cops arrived, they found the badly burned body of a young woman. Sheriff Buck Shipley, Detective Steve Henry, and forensic expert Sergeant Curtis Wells were called to the scene. They found the body of a young, white female. Her face and upper body had been burned basically beyond recognition. There was still some flesh that could be seen on her legs, but there was a pool of blood surrounding her head. Her legs were kind of like bent up at the knees, mm-hmm. and her arms were like up in the air with her fit her fist clenched like in a boxer's pose which is actually very common in fire victims and I didn't know that but oh. it is yeah her legs had been slightly spread apart and it was evident that the body had been posed in a sexual position <gasps> the coroner determined that the victim had been sexually assaulted and died from smoke inhalation so that meant that when she was set on fire she was still alive oh my god Based on just the body, detectives surmised that the victim was late teens, early 20s. They did a missing person search in the area, but they didn't find anything that matched their victim. Mm-hmm. So around 9.30 on the evening of January 11th, 1992, later that day, a hysterical 15-year-old girl by the name of Tony Lawrence walks into the Indiana State Police Department in Madison. She's accompanied by her parents. And she said she needs to speak with detectives because she witnessed a murder the night before. Wow. She told detectives that she'd been with her friend Hope Rippey, mm-hmm. Hope's friend Lori Tackett, 
and Laurie's friend Melinda Loveless over in New Albany and that they had killed a little girl named Shanda. <gasps> she said she didn't know Shanda's last name because she'd never met Shanda before that night. Mm-hmm. So while she described in horrifying detail what happened, another detective called New Albany police to ask if they, were, if they had a missing person by the name of Shanda. Police confirmed that they do, and that's how detectives found out what happened to Shanda Sharer and confirmed that she was the victim found earlier that morning on Lemon Road. Ugh. So detectives drove to New Albany, where Steve lived. Jackie was there. And, you know, so Steve, Jackie, and Sharon are just, like, waiting mm-hmm. to find out what happened. You know, like, getting some kind of news. Yeah. Detectives go in, tell them, like, we found Shanda. She's been killed. Mm-hmm. Jackie just starts screaming. And Steve fell to the floor crying, like, my baby, my baby. Yeah. So, go back a little bit before. On January 10th, 1992, the day before, Lori Tackett and Hope Rippey had came by and picked up Tony Lawrence after school in Madison, Indiana. They had a plan to go to a punk concert in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And when Tony gets in the car, Lori, who Tony had never met until this night, turns to Hope and asks, did you tell her what we're going to do tonight? And Tony was, like, puzzled, and Hope's like, no, I didn't tell her. And then Lori, who had never met Tony before this night, turned to Tony and said, we're going to kill a little girl tonight. <gasps> And that's where we're going to end part one. Wow. And that's, oh my God, I would have ran from that car. I don't care if it was moving. I think, I'm, I would not believe, like at that age, like true being 36 now, mm-hmm. if I get in a car with somebody and they say we're going to go kill somebody, I'll be like, peace out. Exactly. And then I'm going to go report it. Mm-hmm. But being 14 or 15. I probably would have laughed it off because I would have never met this person before and I would have thought they were joking. True. But as we're going to see in part two, they were not joking. No. Oh, oh goodness. Yes. That's so terrible. This, like, the next part is very, very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to let you know that. Mm-hmm. It's okay. really, really dark. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm going to go ahead and give trigger warnings now for, like, extreme brutality, torture, sexual assault. Mm, just any trigger warning you can think of, yeah. that's going to apply to next week's episode. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't already discovered, I'm doing my two-parter. I'm taking up two full weeks of your all ears, so. <laughs> and it's not going to be fun. No, no, but that's but, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a case, and. And, like, when you. See, go back and read that book. I want to say it's not Cruel Intentions. I'll have to, I'll link it. Yeah. But the book by Aphrodite Jones, she does such a good job, like, getting court transcripts, Mm -hmm. access to the letters that the girls exchanged. And when you go back and you read those letters, like, you truly see, like, how young they are. Yeah. You know, they're not using big words. They're not expressing themselves. It's like, they go between threats. And then, let's be friends. Mm-hmm. And you can just see, like, their maturity level is so, like, not evolved. Yeah. It's it's not mature. They don't really have one at that age. No. They're children. It, yeah. And, like, the whole, like, I remember, like, being in middle school and you had those dances. And, like, mm-hmm. if you got asked to dance by somebody, like, how exciting that was. Yes. Like, and I just, like imagine being Shanda at 12 mm-hmm. and you have this older person that locks you and you lock them back and you want to go to dance. And then like you just, you have this other person, this, you know, your person's ex. Yeah. Like getting involved. And then like when she went to the, the dance and Melinda and Amanda came out, I just, no wonder Shanda was depressed like just going home and like not engaging with her mom Mm -hmm. there was so much happening at school like just those last few months for shanda were really hard yeah that's i mean it's it's like we talked about before middle school is hard you have all that drama because that's Mm -hmm. what middle school is and oh goodness and then i can't even imagine it elevating to Mm -hmm. the level of murder but I mean, even without that, it's still so much drama and so much anxiety and just 
ridiculousness. Yeah, and Shanda had been so excited to attend public school. Mm-hmm. And, like, it just, it just is so sad to, like, think about how excited Shanda was and then how just, like, in a matter of, like, six months, it goes from her being super, super excited, like, moving to a new place, mm-hmm. getting to go to public school, getting to wear, like, not a uniform every day. Yeah. Making new friends, meeting somebody that you think's really into you. Like, mm-hmm. just that excitement. And then it just goes from super, super happy to complete misery. Mm-hmm. And then for Stephen and Sha- Jackie and Sharon, like, her, Shanda was really close with her stepmom. Like, they see Shanda. They're like, okay, we got her in this new school. She is turning back into our child again. Uh-huh. And and I'm sure they look back on times like anyone would and be like, I regret doing this or I regret not seeing that, even though there's nothing they could have done. No. It just... And, like, parental guilt's like, you know, every parent exactly. suffers from guilt. And unfortunately, or fortunately, not every parent feels guilt on that level. But yeah, yeah, like you go back and you rethink about your decisions and like, mm-hmm. could I have done something different? You know, if I had said something different, if I had like made a different choice, like would it have changed the outcome? Yeah. And I think like, as you'll see with the girls that were involved, specifically Melinda and mm-hmm. what she had been through and Lori too, because Lori, you will see next week, Lori plays a huge role in what happens to Shanda. Uh-huh. I think with those two girls, there probably was not anything else that would have happened because there was no intervention for Melinda and Lori prior to this. And they Mm -hmm. had, you know, I haven't gone into Lori's background. That will be in part two. Yeah. But Melinda had suffered. And this is in no way an excuse for what Melinda did. Mm -hmm. It just, I wanted to share what happened to Melinda because Melinda, that's all Melinda had known was violence and pain and and suffering. Like you said, it's not an excuse, but when that's what you know, that's how you operate. Yeah, and especially as a child when you don't get those bonding experiences mm-hmm. and the people that are supposed to protect you and love you uh-huh. leave you to fend for yourself and actively abuse you, mm-hmm. that shapes who you become. It does. It really does. So, on that note, we'll go ahead and end <laughs> it here. Yes. So you can have time to recover before the next part mm-hmm. if you guys want to reach out to us on instagram we are monsters and murder pod mm-hmm. and on gmail you can send us a letter or any type of comment there if you want at monsters and murder at gmail.com monsters and murder pod at gmail oh yes yeah. darn it i mess it up every other time i do it, it well it's been a while it's been a while <laughs> it's gonna take a time take time to get back into our group ow sorry my cat just grabbed my toe i know yeah she was scratching me too <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, reach out. Let us know what we think. And I might starting start to try to include those questions we always get prompted to put in the episodes. Yeah, like, what did I would you like think? That. Or something like that. And yeah. you guys can respond on that. I don't think we can I don't think we can still reply on that, but it would still be cool to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note. Until next time. Stay safe. Bye. Bye bye.